Welcome, Pudding People, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. I am your host, Ken Seymour, with your other host, Richard Geiger. Coming to you live from the Mazda Studios. Apparently, was and a... of course, by that I mean my car. Yeah, <laughs> and with with a slight delay. So, uh, bear with us. You know, this distance recording thing can occasionally be challenging with our respective internet quality. If you if you understand where we're coming from, but internet. Yes, indeed. Right. But we have a fantastic episode for you today. We've got several topics that we were going to cover, and several of them have some interesting implications. Others have just interesting implications to us. But we're going to talk a little bit as an expansion from a previous conversation we started with the always wonderful Delvin Cox. We're going to continue with some developments that have occurred between AMC and Universal Studios. We're going to talk a little bit about... Uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake and uh, whether that is a, a game that maybe you should give a try or not. Uh, we're going to go down the road and talk just a little bit about maybe some s- second-tier rock and roll bands from the 1990s. And then we'll finish up with our history of comic book movies. We're still in the year of 2008 and we'll be talking about The Incredible Hulk. So, how's things faring for Richard in the land of the uh, of, of the isolated and alone? <laughs> well, um, I do have a work at home possibility capability now, so my schedule has changed a bit. Uh, other than that, still uh, mowing the lawn. And playing Warzone, and that's about it. Pretty, uh, pretty non-exciting. Yeah, that 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 playing that is uh, that's what's been helping me get by in this. And having Final Fantasy VII remake come out during this period could not have happened at a better time. Uh, it's been the first game that I've wanted, really, really wanted to get and play for for a little while. Um, now we were talking a little bit before the episode, uh, you are apparently not a real big Final Fantasy, uh, player yourself. You said you've never played any of them, correct? That is correct. Now, now maybe I'm mistaken in this and I, I feel like a lot of these were, uh, were a lot of the Final Fantasy games on the PlayStation platform. Um, kind of, uh, they, they, also were on Nintendo um, because that's kind of where they started. Um, and you can get them on the Xbox as well. So, I mean, they're not exclusive titles by any stretch. Okay. So, I, I felt like when, when I had my regular old-fashioned Nintendo, I was more of a Dragon Warrior right. uh, game, game player. Uh, got rid of that. Got a Sega Genesis um uh, which I still have. Um, it's an amazing device. I love my Sega Genesis. Um, but I, I had a PlayStation 2. I have a PlayStation 3 that just collects dust. But I just was never... I, I never did the Final Fantasy stuff. I, I think... I think I had transitioned away when Final Fantasy was really building up steam and making amazing games. I still wasn't super big into 
turn-based uh, games, you know, because right. Di- Diablo was kind of coming into fruition, and that was a role-playing game, but you controlled the character, you did all the movements, you did all that stuff, and there was there was games before that that did that, but I I, I just was never a fan of turn-based uh, role-playing games. Not that this one is, but... Well, yeah, it definitely has a, a certain appeal to to different mindset. It's uh, more more strategic, less twitchy finger. Um, but at the same time, even though you have access to more strategy, it's not nearly as exciting in, in some respects because of it. You don't have that immediate fight or flight reaction that kind of kind of breeds into it. And that's kind of where the interesting thing comes because Final Fantasy VII for me was uh, was a just an amazing, amazing game. It's what got me into video gaming, really. I mean, it's not that I hadn't played video games before. Of course, I did all the way back to the, the Atari. But that game was what showed me what could be with video games, and it just blew me away. Um, so when I heard that the uh, remake was coming out, it's like, I've, I've got to get that. I mean, if they're giving it, if nothing else, than a really high-end spit, shine, and polish, um, I would like to see that. But they promised that it was going to be an expansion. It was going to take uh, a, a game that they had intended to be so much larger than they could realistically do when they released it and then make it into what they wanted it to be in the first place. So I will have to say just minor spoilers. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to talk about plot or anything because um, if you played Final Fantasy VII before, they're staying true to it. So if you knew the plot before, you basically know the plot now. But they they really they made some interesting choices. They they got away. You still have turn based sort of options if you want to, but the 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 normal playthrough is not turn based. It is you're controlling. You have a a gauge that fills that allows you to do your special actions, your item use, your special attacks, your spells, your whatever. But if you're just wanting to do regular attacks and dodges and blocks and parries and all that sort of stuff. You know, have at it. Do that as much as you want. Um, but it, it creates an interesting, um, a different, slightly different dynamic in how you approach the game. And the obviously the graphics differential was just huge. I mean, super huge. This game came out uh, right about the time I graduated from um, college, uh, much longer ago than I like to think about. But, so, I mean, you've got these advances in the processor that have occurred. And so the, the graphics quality is just phenomenal. And you get to see things that you never got even close to a chance of seeing before. Um, they did indeed expand on a few things. There were some minor characters in Final Fantasy VII that you're supposed to care about. But it's hard to because <laughs> there's not much dialogue and not much history. And they, they really fill that out and try and get you to care about those characters a, a lot more. Um, they didn't release the whole game. They're doing it in pieces. And so it, the equivalent, when I played the original game, uh, I could get to the point where this game ends in about two to four hours. Maybe. And they expanded. I finished this with somewhere over 30. Um, so it is it is definitely longer, but I think a lot of it's an illusion. 
because like I said, a lot more dialogue, a lot more cutscenes, building on trying to give that cinematic feel as you're as you're going through it, and it's really successful in a lot of ways. Um, the uh, the system doesn't make it feel different enough that you're disappointed if you're a purist. Uh, at least I didn't think so. Uh, the everything that you kind of hoped would be there is still there. Um, they did have a couple of missteps. Uh, I feel uh, in the original Final Fantasy game, uh, whatever you got was whatever you could find. I mean, because it came out on the PlayStation One, right? There's no downloadable content. Mm-hmm. There's no expansions. It's what is there is there. Um, and to get a couple of the special uh, materia, like the cactar materia, you got to shell out real money. It's like twenty bucks for two pieces of materia. It's one of the most ridiculous things that I've ever seen. Such a blatant money grab. That almost soured it by itself for me. Why are you going to charge? First of all, the original game was like 50 or 60 bucks when it came out for the entire game Mm -hmm. that I played for hundreds of hours. And you're going to release a small segment at a time, each chunk for $60, and then wants to charge me more for two chunks of material that realistically you don't need. Well, I was wondering, that was going to be one of my questions, was since it's one of your favorite games, you have that value kind of already built into it. Right. But one, what was the cost? And two, is it worth it? Or if they're going to do it in chunks and you've got to pay 60, 60, 60, or whatever the price is, is it is it worth it to wait a year? when they just released the whole thing inevitably as a complete set at a reduced cost. Like that's, that's an interesting, that's an interesting kind of aspect of it because the re-release of remastered games is a big, like companies are doing a big time right now. Oh, you yeah. know, the, the mo- modern warfare games war like Warzone is out, but they also at the same time released modern warfare Two remastered. So like it, all the companies are doing it, right? Uh, it's just a way to take existing stuff and make more money off of it. It's right, great for them. Right. Well, but, and if it was just that, I probably would not have bought the game. But this was intended to not just be a, a shinier version of the pre-existing game. It's supposed to be a lot more. Is it a lot more? Sort of? Um, kind, uh, okay, so... Like I said, the plot does not really deviate. It adds some stuff. None of the stuff that it adds is important at all. I mean, it's it's some fluff. It's some extra character development uh, for characters that are not going to matter by the end of the game. I will say that much without really being specific in case you've never touched a Final Fantasy game. The characters that they give you some, some uh, extra stuff for, yeah. Yeah, you, you're by by the third release. I'm sure there's at least going to be three, if not four or five. Uh, you are not going to be anywhere near them, and are not going to care a bit about them. Um, and then the main characters. One of the big things about Final Fantasy VII is you got this huge cast of characters that you can choose from. Well, in keeping with the original Final Fantasy VII, to the point in the plot that you get. You don't have all your characters yet. 
there's like five characters you haven't gotten yet. They have teased, really briefly teased one of them. They give you one that goes around with you, but you don't have any control over towards the end. And then the other one's not even mentioned, which would bother me more. But, you know, it's, it's actually right for where it is in the plot. So I'm trying to look at it in, in a different kind of value proposition. Does this play on my nostalgia? Yes, absolutely. Does it improve what's already there? In a lot of ways, absolutely. But there were certain weaknesses that I really wanted them to work on, like uh, the Barrett character. Uh, we talked a little bit to uh, Delvin, or at least I did, about this, uh, I think, before we were recording our previous episode. Um, he's a, a large uh, African-American gentleman with an arm that is replaced with a machine gun. When the game was originally released, it very much seemed like whoever wrote that character had never actually met an African-American gentleman before and just used stereotypes to try and portray the character. It was uncomfortable and not well-written. I mean, it had a certain kind of fondness because they didn't know what they were doing to a certain extent, but it was, it was kind of, it was kind of painful. So I thought, well, you know what? It's been decades since that game came out. So they're going to get it right this time. No, they really didn't. It's, they just shifted. They pivoted to a different set of stereotypes, <laughs> at least at first. I mean, it, it, it was still really painful. Um, now it got better as the game went along. I think it feels like they started to kind of get their stride a little bit and write him as a, gen a genuine character with some depth. And But still, it was just, it was not, not what I wanted to see there, which was a little disappointing. Um, and, you know, this promise that what they're going to do is they're going to fill out this game with areas you've never been able to go to before and so much more stuff. Liars. There's like one well, little one that's part two and three, you know. Well, yeah, okay, sure. Uh, there's like one little village that you get to go to that you didn't get to go to in the original game. Everything else, if you're talking about stuff they built out, did they build out the scenery that you could look at? Yes, and it's beautiful. I don't care. That's not why I wanted the game. You were supposed to give me more neat stuff, not fetch quests, not little piddly nothing. Oh, I was. I was a little mad, just a little mad at that. Not enough to really throw me off. I think the thing that really got me, the only true complaint that I had, like so many of these types of games, there's a point of no return that you get to, that if you go start doing this part of the quest, you can't go back to the other places to finish anything else up. That's normal. Well, they give you a certain point. It's like, hey, you better be ready. Are you ready to go start doing this? Because you're not coming back. Oh, okay. And because I know the previous game, I know exactly what's coming up. And I remember it's like, you know, in the previous game, it took me maybe 20 minutes to get through this whole section that I think that they're going to end on. And it's the section that I thought to the T, they ended it exactly where I thought they would. It took like six hours <laughs> to get through that section. And it wasn't like neat new cool stuff they just made everything take longer <laughs> it was so worthless um yeah I, I loved games like the metal gear games when 
when they were at their bases. And then as the Metal Gear games progressed, it became a 40-hour game, and 25 of it was cinematic stuff. And 15 <laughs> of it was you, you did cool things. And and that's what that's what because I had a PlayStation Two and I had a I had a one of the Metal Gear games so I loved the Metal Gear games and that game was cool but it was just like you did something and you literally had to sit there for five minutes ten minutes fifteen minutes while the same cinematic thing went oh and you're just like right. uh, I, I can't I can't my attention span can't deal with this movie yeah. and I I I felt like even the final fantasies did a lot of that. And are you, are you saying that in this one, there was even more of that stuff for this version? There was more cinematics. That's not the biggest problem to it. And they actually let you skip the cinematics. If you want, you don't want to watch the movie. You don't have to, you can go right to the next action point, but they would do things like, well, you need to get from point A to point B. So they build this really long hallway. Okay. Okay. What's the purpose of this really long hallway? To be really long and a hallway. All right. Um, wh- what about uh, what about the rest of it? You have complete control of your character, except when we want you to look here. You cannot look where you want to look, and you cannot walk where you want to walk. You have to press forward and go towards it. Kind of like the end of, um, uh, I'm forgetting the name of it right now, is uh a series of three games that were really awesome until you got to the end and it was just a choose your own adventure at the very end that everybody hated mass effect um at the end of mass effect you basically get to walk towards what it is that you're doing they do that like 40 times in this game where you have no actual control you have to walk forward it is the most annoying crap in any video game programming and and it 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 drove me up a wall because if you're going to make me walk forward why have me have control i don't actually have control you are funneling me where you want me to go stop it make it a cinematic have you take control oh okay i can take my hands off the controller for a minute while you do whatever it is that needs to be done no you have to press forward and that is the only direction that you can press it is just stupid programming it's lazy and annoying so, would you say buy or not buy? I'd say if you're a fan of the Final Fantasy universe, absolutely. You'll enjoy it. I mean, even with me being as vehement as I am about those particular issues, it's still really enjoyable. And the way they set it up, when you beat the game, instead of having like a game plus mode or hard mode appear... You're just in the save screen, and you can go back into any chapter that you want at any difficulty that you want and replay those areas and find hidden stuff. And when they say hard, uh, it, it is definitely hard. I, I I didn't think it really would be because, oh, the only difference in hard mode is benches that normally heal your hit points and your magic points only heal your hit points. And you can't use items at all in hard mode. It's like, oh, that could be particularly annoying towards the end of the game, but if that's the only difference, the early levels are going to be a breeze. They didn't tell you they made all of the creatures harder too, uh, which is, I guess, should have been obvious, but they didn't say that they were going to do that, so I didn't expect them to do that. So when I got to the first boss on the first chapter and it royally just kicked me in the front teeth, (laughs) I wasn't expecting that. 
surprise. Yeah. But yeah, I I enjoyed it. Like I said, there were a couple things that were just really, really frustratingly bad. But uh, you know, it's it, it you're going to get that with any game. Yeah. Now you know what's not fr- you know what's not frustratingly bad, right? Our social media. So, so I was going to say so many things, including <laughs> lawnmower clips That's on right. our social media. That's right. You can always find us on Instagram and Facebook at Pudding Guys. You can find us on Twitter at Real Pudding Guys. And you can find us on Patreon at Pudding Guys, where for just $1 a month, you can help support us as we buy new video games to play (laughs) and tell you all about why they really annoy us. Uh, No, but really, we always appreciate all of our supporters and the help that you bring in. We are making strides with some of the new stuff that we are going to be bringing out via Patreon. Oh, I'm so excited about it. By the time this episode releases, we will likely have our uh, Ultimate Comic Movie Database back up and running. And uh, I, I tell you what, we've got some exciting stuff coming up, and I cannot wait to tell you about it. In fact, once we're getting close, we're going to dedicate an entire episode, maybe even two, to the release of what we're going to be doing because it is so phenomenally cool, I think, that you will really dig it. But back back to the matter at hand. <laughs> back to the matter Yes. So... so. Uh, so do do we want to speak about some musics? Absolutely. Let's let's talk about some music. Okay. So one of the things that I kind of noticed here in the last couple of weeks, uh, due to my attention span, uh, in terms of consuming things, I used to spend more time listening to things than what I do now, actually. But in terms of listening to music, I listen to actually more music now than what I did before. And when you do certain tasks like mowing the lawn, for example, I like to listen to some music just instead of listening to the lawnmower. Or if you're if you are outside working or doing some tasks, it's great to have some music playing. And for some reason, the last couple of weeks, I've just been drawn into listening to Megadeth. Uh, I've always collected Megadeth or listened to Megadeth or had an appreciation for Megadeth. And it got me to thinking in terms of how Megadeth is actually regarded. We, we had a podcast before about, maybe let's call it second tier fast food restaurants well in terms of like maybe the late 80 80s the most of the 90s the music that we focus a lot on we've talked about our favorite bands and a lot of our bands to an extent are what you'd say the quote high tier they're the favorites maybe more commercially favorite so in terms of rock and metal those two very generic categories melded together what would be some of the best of the second tier bands, right? And I feel like Megadeth is one of those bands that fits perfectly in that tier structure. I feel like a lot of their music, a lot of their albums uh, early on, especially in our time frame, like the late 80s, early 90s, were very highly regarded, maybe not commercially regarded, um, but very highly regarded in terms of some of their songs and some of their play styles. And 
I've been watching just random videos of, you know, them playing it. They have a new guitarist, for example, uh, relatively new. Um, and he's put his audition tapes on the internet. And what he did is he just, he's so good. He just recorded, he's like, well, I'll learn these songs. And some of the songs that he learned are like the most difficult Megadeth songs you could possibly learn. He's like, yeah, I, I learned them in an afternoon. And then I just recorded myself and I sent them off to Dave Mustaine. I was like, holy cow. <laughs> but, um, it just got me to thinking, you know, if, if that's one of those tiered bands, like what would you, what would you consider some of those, let's call them quote second tier of those metal rock bands um, in, in, in your favorites or some, maybe not even your favorite, but what you would consider in that tiered structure? Well, in the second tier, I know uh, talk maybe about one or two that weren't my favorites, um, but that I have to recognize as being very good, just like I recognize Megadeth as being very good. I mean, the instrumentation, the songwriting, the, the, the quality of playing, I, I love the band for that. As long as I don't have to listen to Dave Mustaine sing, I'm, I'm generally pretty good. Um, good to go. Yeah. Um, but uh, similarly, um, bands like Motorhead. Um, Motorhead had a, a really huge um, kind of almost cult following uh, because they had just really solid, hard rock sound. Uh, if you were a wrestling fan and uh, – you would you would hear a little bit of that with a uh, Triple H entrance music, uh, but um, again, kind of one of those things where the, the the lead the lead vocals on that usually just annoyed the heck out of me. Uh, ministry, uh, just real heavy, chunky sounding music, mm-hmm. uh, but mostly just screaming, uh, <laughs> and so I couldn't really listen to them for any extended period of time. And, and I, I, I got the same thing. Like I enjoy listening to some motorhead, right. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't celebrate their collection. Let's call it. Right. Um, ministry. I, I've tried. It just doesn't, just doesn't do it for me. Uh, it's the same thing with, uh, and I might get in trouble for saying this, but Slayer. So Slayer is, very, very, very highly regarded in a certain section of music enthusiasts. Mm-hmm. And I can absolutely appreciate their talents and what they do. Right. And what they, how they do what they do is top tier. But they just always tended to be right on that second tier. They couldn't quite, they couldn't quite like, if you're looking at maybe just specifically, like not even metal, but like, like that hardcore metal, they'd be the top of the tier. But if you're looking at metal generic, metal grunge rock, I, they're like right on that second tier and couldn't quite push themselves up onto the the top tier. Uh, and I've tried to listen to their music. It's just, just doesn't do it for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, they're, they're actually on, on tour this uh this past year with one of my all-time favorite bands and artists that i could i could ever have in a list uh but i acknowledge that they're a second tier type of band too and that's primus 
Primus never really got that quote mainstream level where everybody could appreciate them. They had a, a, a segment uh, that in that segment, they are very, very highly regarded and other segments are highly regarded. They're great artists. They're one of, if not my favorite bands. Just didn't uh, get that mainstream they, they just, attention. You, you got it. And it doesn't have to be necessarily mainstream, but they never, they never hit that high tier as far as what everybody would regard them as. Right. So sure. they kind of fit that second tier structure as well. Now I liked, uh, the, the white zombie, uh, would, would probably fall into that, that range. I'm, uh, I, uh, I enjoyed quite a bit of white zombie, not all of it and not as much as I liked other stuff, but, uh, uh, I, I generally, I didn't actually, this is one of those things where I didn't even own their music. A friend of mine had it and I borrowed, uh, the first white zombie album and like didn't give it back for two months because <laughs> I was listening to it pretty regularly, but, uh, yeah, never inspired those, me those, to actually buy anything. Yeah. Those, those two albums are phenomenal like the 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 two albums that i think that everybody owns i mean they i mean i'm sure there's other white zombie albums but there's really just two and they're great albums but you're right and and part of that with them might have been they never really hit their potential because they broke up yeah right yeah and then rob zombie had rob zombie had all of these Mediocre solo albums. Album. Oh, oh, solo. That was the yeah. word I was looking for. <laughs> so, solo, yeah. And, you know, those albums are tolerable to listen to, and they have some really good songs yeah. on them. Yeah, they'll have well, like I, one I, or two really good songs, and the rest of it is like, yeah, let's turn it off. Be, because I liked White Zombie so much, I I got I got pl- two, three of those Rob Zombie albums, and I appreciate them, and I enjoy listening to them, but even Rob wouldn't be a, a second tier on like a on his own. No. <laughs> he would be below that. Yeah, I no. feel like definitely. Uh, but white, I think White Zombie. You're right. Is a good uh, quote second tier um, band. They're, if they would have stuck together, they could have hit the top tier. I feel right, like. right. Well, there was a band that had a brief glimpse of mainstream success and then kind of disappeared. Uh, not really heavy metal but kind of verge towards harder rock sometimes uh, scorpions. Yep. Cause that was, that, that was in, uh, in the hair band era. Yeah, they like weren't tail end. Would you, would you call them a hair band? Yeah. Like, cause they were in that, the, the fading end of it. Right. right. Yeah. They, they were, they were, they were, they were in it, but they weren't. I mean, they, they were, they were good. It's just, they never had, with the exception of like one or two songs, just songs that made me go, I got to hear that again. It's like, oh, that, if it's on the background, it's it's, it's good. And I, I'd enjoy it, but I'm not going to go buy tickets to see them perform or anything. No, and, and yeah, they definitely had some good songs, but I, maybe it's just me, but they never hit. It's like, what category were they in? You know? Yeah, just kind of standard hard rock, really, is what I felt. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, in I, I did find a, an interesting little snippet that I thought couldn't be true, uh, but I read into it a little bit more, and it, it was true. Uh, I, I saw a video about 
it was so like there's tons of videos on YouTube about anything, but somebody said somebody played somebody played a uh, Megadeth song in the style of Dimebag Daryl. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's that's fun. I'll watch that. But then when you read in the comments and see information, like, nah, that's just a comment section. That can't be true. But then you go and research it, and it's true. So apparently, uh, Dave Mustaine actually asked Dimebag Daryl to join Megadeth. Oh, really? And he said, yes, but you got to bring my brother, ah, Vinnie Paul, right? Yeah. And and Dave Mustaine was like, no, nah, we... He's like, we just hired a drummer, um, uh, Menza. Is that his name? Nick? Uh, mm. I can't remember. We just hired a drummer, and it wouldn't be right for me to get rid of him. And so he said, he said, you know, like thanks, but no thanks. Hmm. Pantera. So that I, I thought, I thought it was an interesting little bit tidbit of info that I don't think is too commonly known yeah um what about something like a a bad religion so same same type of era right like kind of in the that late late hairband era right and and had some good songs more gosh that that is just a weird. That's that transition, right? Where they're not, not grungy, not hair bandy, right? Yeah, they're kind of not, stuck in this this rock limbo. You got it. You got it. And they had some good songs. They 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 got some airplay for sure. They they uh, they tended to like uh, faster paced songs that weren't like thrashy, which I thought was interesting. Uh, so th- it was always a nice palate cleanser to have something like that on. I wasn't a huge fan, but I definitely enjoyed some of their stuff. Um, I enjoyed their stuff more than I liked, say, like a helmet. Uh, I had a hard time getting into helmet. Ooh. Uh, I, he- helmet, Betty. That album is awesome. And that's as far as I'll get. <laughs> Now, you had to have had a friend that tried to get you to listen to some band that they said was just awesome at this period. Uh, and then you, uh, but you just, you couldn't see eye to eye. Was there anything like that that you had? Uh, sure. Uh, Smashing Pumpkins and The Cure. I can get that. The Cure was pretty depressing. I, I mean, I got into that, but... Uh, and Smashing Pumpkins, oh, I'll take that all day long. Uh, the Melancholy, oh, so good. But, yeah, not for everybody, for sure. Yeah, those those were those were two. Generally speaking, we had a pretty good um, – We our, our group of friends liked a lot of the, the same type of stuff. That wasn't too hard. I, I, min, you mentioned ministry before. Um, I definitely had some folks that listened to – uh, ministry. I, I came into Metallica later on. Um, when they were in their prime, I never listened to them. So yeah. I listened to them later on. Um, but th- my friends listened, my friends definitely listened to them. Um, I'm trying to think here. There was, yeah, no, th- those were, those are the, a few that they really, uh, but well, I don't think the grateful dead counts. No, no, <laughs> not really. Uh, 
I really had some friends that were, will, were, still are, just big Grateful Dead fans. Um, Fish wasn't quite a thing then either. So uh, I would say though, yeah, the definitely the Cure or Smashing Pumpkins, and I just couldn't, I just couldn't get into it. I had uh, a, How about ch- you? a change of uh, taste that kind of occurred. I had a friend in college that thought a band was just the best thing since sliced bread. And I tried listening to them and it's like, man, these guys are just trying to be too complicated for their own good. And their songs are kind of mediocre. And it's like, these guys are not good. And I listened to them more in the last five to 10 years. And I go, yeah, I was, I was way off. No, these guys are actually pretty freaking brilliant. Um, and maybe not as big in the United States, but globally pretty big. And that's uh, like Dream Theater. I've heard a lot of Dream Theater. And I, uh, I of when I say of, people mentioning or talking about Dream Theater. Uh, there was this one person that I worked with when I was in college who just thought, one, well, just like you, Thought they were the best thing ever. No one would ever be better than them. No discussion needed about them. Got a ta- had tattoos about Dream Theater. It was like I never even heard of them until you mentioned them. Right. So I I I know of them, but if you played a song, I wouldn't be able to tell who it was. So they have a lot of things going for them. The they are classically trained. They know music extraordinarily well. And they have this um, want to make things very complex. So very strange time signatures, switches in signatures and in key and in all sorts of stuff. You'll get movements, uh, a, a very classical approach sometimes to the, to the way that the songs are put together. Um, and long songs like Fish length songs sometimes that just go forever um but when they hit it right they're phenomenal and they don't always hit it right i don't think i mean they they always they always perform exceptionally it's crisp they know what they're doing and it's presented well but it's not always appealing it's um it's like architecture in a lot of ways it's like it there are some people that, we're going to make a building that looks like it's sitting on its side. Yeah, that's really complicated. I don't want to look at it. <laughs> it's, a, it's an achievement, but it's not useful. Um, but when they do manage to get it right, because I, I especially with like listening to Tool and listening to some other bands that use that same kind of um, approach to time signatures and progression and songwriting, making it more complex, it caused me to go back and look at them again. It's like, actually, they they were, and sometimes, <laughs> really pretty good. But, uh, yeah, if you are if you like uh, more pop-oriented uh, stuff or even just standard rock and roll, definitely not the road to go down because they, they are all over the place. Yeah, I, like I said, one, and, and maybe it's just my mentality and, that when that person was just like, and I didn't like that person that I worked with anyway. (laughs) So when they, when they were just so heavily on, this is the best band, there is no discussion about it. And if you don't like them, 
you are a jerk face. That just kind of pushed me off of it instantly. Right. So I'm like, why would I ever bother? I don't like you. There's no way I'm going to like this band. So, um, (laughs) I, that, yeah. And I can honestly say, I don't know a good, bad or other about them because I've never listened to them. Right. Well, give them a try. Like I said, there's, there's some, there's some good stuff. Uh, it may, may take a listen or two to really get into it, but, uh, it's worth, it's worth it. Uh, knowing what you do like, you, you may be intrigued, but everybody's got something like that. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a band I'm going to, I, I, for some reason it, it came across on a suggestion for me and, and you, our listeners may remember it from, uh, gosh, the late nineties when we had our discussion before about, um, the late nineties and we did a, a, uh, an album discussion about 1999. Right. Uh, there was, uh, an album, a band I totally forgot about, uh, Jimmy's Chicken Shack. <laughs> and people are like, that's really the name of the band? Yeah, that's really the name of the band. And they've got some really good songs, and they have some really bad songs, too. Yeah, yeah. But um, it, it kind of goes to, like like you mentioned, with the, the Dream Theater piece where it, it's amazing on these bands where they try to do just the off the wall types of things to make it unique, make it their own piece. And it's just like, well, somebody likes it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I acknowledge your skill, sir. Is, but... take it to a different room. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, oh, yeah. and that's all it is. The, the, the musicians are trying to push boundaries, make something new, and and march progress forward. Progress can sometimes be a, a good thing, sometimes maybe not so much. We've got some some progress happening in the world of film uh, at the moment mm-hmm. that uh, could go either way, and it's resulting in this very strange um, standoff. This <laughs> you know, I'm I'm concerned just a little bit. So. If you listen to our podcast portion that has the movie reviews, um, I recently did a review for Trolls World Tour, and that kind of prompted a brief discussion, uh, a post-podcast discussion uh, between the two of us and, and Delvin, and I think it's time to expand a bit on it on the value of a movie now when in terms of we've, we've discussed in our movie reviews like hey would you pay money to go watch this in the movie theater well no one can go to the movie theater to watch stuff now All right so um and in the headline that you had mentioned before trolls world tour is a universal uh distributed product and since it's success in the first three weeks that it's been out universal says hey this is a great tool we're going to continue to use this blah 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 AMC theaters, that chain has said, yeah, okay, cool. That's how you're going to treat it. Well, we're not going to allow you to have any movies in our theaters. So it it was just a, it was just a signal. And a lot of people have that discussion, had had that discussion before of, well, I don't want to go to the movie theater. I'll just wait till it comes to home theater. Well, Trolls World Tour totally bypassed the theater, went straight to having, that view it was released 
you can watch it, you can rent it. Um, now, this is part of the discussion that I think bears merit is, okay, so the rental price for the movie was 20 bucks. Uh, and by you, $20, you mean way too much. <laughs> you, you have, if you choose to rent it, you pay your 20 bucks, you have 30 days to watch it. This was the terms, at least, that I had. 30 days to watch it. Once you press play and you start it, you have 48 hours to finish it. And I don't think it's a, you have 30 days and watch it as many times as you want to. No, that's not how that works. That's not how much digital rentals were. So the question becomes as a distributor, if you're going to do that, what's the price point? Like, what do you have to do to make money off it as a consumer? What movie does it have to be? What price point does it have to be? That's what kind of where part of our discussion came in. Well, and a lot of this is is about uh, kind of a comparative economic view of how things um, work. Now, we've got so many streaming services right now that if we get that streaming service, we get to watch what we want, when we want. It may not be the brand new stuff always, but... We can watch it anytime and come back to it. And they're trying to do this fragmenting thing where it's like, well, we're we're going to do our own streaming service, so we're not going to have your stuff, our stuff on your streaming service. And it's almost like the early days of the stupid cable and satellite TV sides of things. But even without that, if you look at just the hard media side, getting that Blu-ray, you can spend between 5 and $20 to get the Blu-ray and watch it over and over and over again. So my question always comes back to, what am I getting for that initial price using the Trolls, for example? That initial price for Trolls to watch it for $20 now, once, at home, versus the 20 that I can spend in a couple months to buy the Blu-ray. Am I, am I losing out by waiting? And my mentality for 99.9% of everything is going to be, no, I'll wait. If you, char if you try to charge me money for watching it at my house when it is released, you are going to fail 100%. Uh, and, I and, and that's an interesting discussion because you say 99%. And I think for some, the movie theater experience is why you're okay with paying 12 bucks for a ticket. Right. Right. Um, but if you're going to go have that experience, the screen is huge. The sound should be good. My contention with AMC saying, well, you're not going to do that is the AMCs that we go to, the screens are dirty. The seats are gross. Yeah. It's not much of an experience. So like, okay, if you're going to have that pushback, yeah, why don't you get why don't, why don't you as a business as a company right step up do something yeah um i've mentioned this before we've talked about it before i used to run i used to be in that business i used to manage movie theaters and that was always a contention to me because as a consumer i didn't want to go into a movie theater and see this spot on the screen yeah. I, I guarantee you 85 percent of the people that watch them don't, don't notice. even notice that that thing's there i do i notice that thing all the time so i always made it a point to make sure that those things were clean that they were taken care of man and especially nowadays man if you're gonna have these seats how are you gonna get them how are you gonna have them be clean how are you gonna keep them clean 
how are you going to every show keep these things clean? <laughs> this is a hard industry to be in right now. Yeah. And I'm concerned. The video on demand might be the only option that people have. And you and you and I want to go and watch a movie like Avengers Endgame on a gigantic screen with with booming that sound, sound and I don't have to worry about any of my family going into the kitchen and rinsing something or whatever and now I either have to pause the movie or I have to endure the sound because I can't really turn up the sound because some people don't want the volume any louder because it's supposed to be a library in here you know that sort of thing it, it's but, a, but see that's that's just it though if you is a disturbance you can pause it right when you're at the movie theater and some jerk face behind you is kicking the seat or somebody up in front of you is just talking and won't be quiet. What are you going to do? That sounds like a benefit, but it, 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 exa- it isn't exactly a benefit. It is a sidestep of a major problem because the whole point of that theater experience is that you're immersing yourself. You are cutting yourself off from the world for a moment. There's no computer. There's no phone, or at least there shouldn't be. Um, there's just the story that's going on. And I, I've i watched a lot of movies at the movie theaters, and I can count on one hand the number of times somebody has disturbed me enough in the theater to make the experience um, not good. But anytime I try and watch anything it feels like at home, especially now with us all being in the same place, it's just not possible. There's just too much stuff going on, and there is no immersion. And I have to wait for people to be asleep or, or <laughs> to, 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 to be, uh, uh, you know, distracted by whatever they're going. And then I might get about two hours where nobody's going to interrupt. And, yeah. and, and, and trust, I'm an advocate of movie theaters. I wouldn't have worked to them if I didn't enjoy being there. I have two kids. When we go to a family as a family to watch, I expect to pay a lot of money, right? Four tickets. Right. Uh, the family is going to want the whole popcorn thing. Like I, as a person who ran the business, I, as a consumer, I, as a fan of the movie theaters, know that the movie theater doesn't make their money off of the movie. They make it off of the ads before the movie. They make it off of the concession stand. I know that when I go to the movie theater, I know the reason that to get a popcorn and a drink is 15 bucks. I get it. I understand it. It's the same reason that all these people that complain about it when they go to uh, a basketball game or a baseball game or they go to a bar and they pay eight bucks or 10 bucks for a drink. They expect that. And they know that when they go there, right? Like you can't, you can't complain about going to the movie theater and spending that money on that stuff. And then go out to a bar and pay six bucks for like some cheapo beer that you could get a 30 pack of for, for 15 amount. bucks. You right. know what I'm saying? So you, you, you gotta, you, you gotta put those things in a certain amount of perspective. Right. I know that when I go to the movie theater, it's going to be expensive. I have that if, and that's part of the whole experience for me for my family and i appreciate that um so i think the real thing is sure if i were single 
or if I were married and had no kids, would I have paid 20 bucks for Trolls World Tour? No. I mean, get out of here. Um, but when we set it up as an event, right? We set it up as a thing where we could all get together, we could have snacks, we could make it a family night, and that $20 family night, if you look at it that way as opposed to a $20 movie that we rented, now you're building more of that value. Now, now you could say the same thing. Well, you could go on Netflix and get a movie and it doesn't cost you anything. Um, exactly. You got it. You got it. Absolutely right. But leave it to advertisers for the family to have a want, right? When you see these advertisements for these cool movies, you, you want to see them because there's something about it that draws your interest. Does Trolls interest me? No. No, not at all. <laughs> no. Although... What, read my review. I give it good marks. Um, but it, the, the family aspect, that interests me. I like that. I like getting together and sitting down and doing that. If that's the one that they want to watch, I'll suck it up and pay that money. That's okay. It just leaves too much of a potential for greed to just skyrocket these prices and potentially cut out an aspect of our shared pop culture experience and have it wither and die on the vine. I, I'm just, I'm really concerned about, about how this is all going to play out. Um, yeah. Because if you still have to have limited capacity, your movies, your, your theater that you're going to go watch the show in has a capacity, this particular theater number, not, not the whole theater, theater number 10 right. has capacity of 350 people but they're only going to allow 150 in. Well, that money that they're not going to get, it's got to be recouped somehow. So that aspect of it means they're either going to expect a bigger take from the companies, right? Mm -hmm. Like uh, a company like Sony or Disney, the theaters are going to want a bigger cut from it. Uh, and, the, and the companies aren't going to want to give up that bigger cut. No, they've been or they're just going to charge. This. They're going to charge more for movie tickets, or they're going to charge more for concessions. So, or both. So, yeah. some something's got to happen for us as a us as a, a movie fan. Like we, there's all these awesome Marvel movies that are going to come out, and I want to go to the theater and watch them. I don't want to sit at home and watch them. I want to go to the theater and watch them. Right. I just, I'm concerned about how that's actually going to pan out. It is, it is a sad thing to think about. So I'm going to think instead about happy thoughts <laughs> and, and rewind the clock uh, by about 12 years. Uh, we've been continuing our, our trek across some of the, the movies we have seen in the, in the theaters and have enjoyed that are based on comic books. Um, we're in the year of 2008. We've done a few already. We even started the whole 2008 with Iron Man because that feels like almost the linchpin of, of how things have shifted during that, that, that year. But I figured we continue 
in the MCU side of things and talk about the second uh, movie that that let us uh, let us realize that there was maybe going to be a little more to this than just a single movie and some sequels, and that's the Incredible Hulk in two thousand and eight. What did you think about this movie when it came out, Richard? So, in terms of in, in terms of this movie, I wanted going into it to hope for hope for more because. We've already done our little discussion on the first Hulk movie that was released, where he was soaring gracefully across the mountains in a single in a single bound, um, and the, the issues that that movie had. So, um, well, speaking of Universal, right? Because this is a Universal property. Exactly. Um, it all ties together. Yeah, uh, that this movie. This movie was a lot better. This movie showed potential, right? Mm-hmm. It showed it showed something different. It showed that bad guys, once again, good bad guys make for a good movie. Not that the bad guy in here is anything special. But you kind of get what a, a couple bad guys, yeah. right? And, and if you consider the General Ross character a bad guy, right? An, anta- an antagonist at the very least. Yep. So it it showed an a thing that developed other characters. It showed a thing at the end that sh- that had the potential for more things right right not just one thing but multiple more things so like when this movie was done it was like okay now we're getting this this movie wasn't great it had its faults but look look at that seed they planted right there oh post credits what uh what okay cool now and what are they doing right so like it planted seeds and those seeds never really went anywhere well, I don't. I wouldn't say that. I mean, it 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 wasn't intended to be a, a plot thread so much as just a, a tease that this is actually connected to Iron Man and there's going to be more. And I think that was more than enough for me. I mean, you got Louis Leterrier or Leterrier, depending upon how you want to pronounce his last name. Yeah. The guy that uh, did this. I mean, right before the Incredible Hulk, he did Transporter Two, which was just kind of a fun action movie. And then right after this. Uh, he did Clash of the Titans, which was really not a fun movie. Um. <laughs> yeah. Um. But in, in looking at his film, filmography, like the Transporter movies, I think are fun. Oh, yeah. I think they're great. He also did a he also did a movie here says um, that I've never I've not seen. And oh, my gosh, do I want to see it? The Brothers Grimsby. Yeah. Um, apparently there's a pretty low end, hilarious scene in that movie that I got to see, but, yeah. um, but he's, he, uh, more recently he's worked on the dark crystal, which was on uh, Netflix. So he, he gets his shot. He does. He's done a few things. He can definitely, right? he some can, notable he, things. He's got some solid performances uh, or solid, uh, product out there. I mean, you've got, um, 
in the movie, you got Edward Norton, who I am a mark for. I will watch any movie Edward Norton is in ever, and I have never seen one of his performances I've been disappointed in, which is really surprising considering that he was in, yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of people who talked about this, but he was in like the Italian job remake that they did that he did not want to do. But he was such a professional, he still put in a really good performance in that film. I mean, just, I, I love the dude. Keeping the faith. Yeah. Um, every, I, I think one of the, the things that people talk about his performances in a few uh, uh, movies, a few mo- in, in our wheelhouse, your wheelhouse is a little bit more broad than ours, but movies that we've spoken about, you know, like American History X or Fight yeah. Club, right? Yeah. Um, that's what a lot of folks will know him from. But gosh, he's been in a lot of things oh, yeah. as any number, any different type of character. So Man, rounders. I thought him. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought uh, Bruce Banner. I was like, you know what? He makes a good Bruce Banner. Yeah. And he, his his one shot to do it. And then they gave him the boot. <laughs> All sorts of theories and rumors and things about why that happened. But yeah, uh, um, Liv, yes. Liv Tyler, I thought pretty did pretty decent as um, as Betty. Um, they didn't uh, give her maybe as much of a chance for development as I would have liked. But I mean, it was kind of their first their first real try <laughs> with the film. I don't count the previous one. Um, yeah. Now, now, the one thing, if you look at all the more recent Avengers things, right, you have William Hurt's character, right, who has resurfaced as General, uh, uh, General Ross Thunderbolt Ross. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he did which, great. That, which is its own thing, right? Yeah. Well, we'll see him more very soon. I have a feeling in the next few years as a certain leader of a certain group. Uh, but why my question is if his character came over one thing you never heard anything for as the Hulk appeared in all these movies is the Betty Ross character. Yeah. That right? that character is super important uh, to any version of the Hulk that I've ever seen. And they kind of wrote him other individuals that would pry, try and kind of take the role that would give him that depth and sort of worked, but sort of didn't. Um, and maybe it's the, uh, maybe it's the relationship between universal and um, Disney that caused that just being an incomplete relationship, but you can see that it, it just, it, it never really flourished the way that it needed to. Tim Roth did a fantastic job. Um, not who I would have ever expected to be the abomination, not who I envisioned, but man, he, he did, he did what he needed to do because he's always great. Um, yeah, he's cool. I mean, it's just, uh, it, it was just a really solid casting. It, it was just a little, it was a little weak in the writing. I mean, mainly because that is maybe the hardest character to write a movie around. Because it's not a hero. Uh, it's just, it's, it's, you can't approach it in the same way that you would approach most superhero films. And um, I, I would be curious to see what they can do whenever they do get a chance to actually have a Hulk movie. 
rather than just have him appear in a Thor movie or whatever, which I enjoyed. Yeah. I enjoyed him and and in his spot in Ragnarok, but it's just it, it makes it feel a little incomplete. And I guess that's basically the whole reaction I had to that movie. It was it was incomplete. But yeah, I get that too. Um, and I guess I've mentioned before in some podcasts about I watch a lot of the Marvel cartoons and a lot of them like the like Avengers Assemble or the, the what a lot of them on Disney XE with Avengers style characters and the Hulk character in there is never the raging animal Hulk that is out of control and smashes everything. He's more of a controlled Hulk who speaks and people still have a certain pers- um, perception like, perception of him, but he's never an out of control, <clears throat> crazy Hulk, which yeah. I think for almost the whole existence of the Hulk is he's a crazy out of control atomic bomb that could go off at any point in time. And r- more recently, they've had a more controlled Hulk character that is more cognizant and can do things and doesn't go crazy. And that's, that's nice in some respects. It's neither. It it has a little bit of both. What makes the Hulk character work, in my mind, the right way is he should be terrifying. I mean, you should be scared out of your mind whenever you are near him. Not because you think he's a bomb that might go off, but he should be ominous. Um, kind of like a, a hunting animal, a predator that's just under the surface. And there's always that. It's not a random everything's going to be destroyed threat. It is, it's looking at me. That's why he's scary. And that's what makes him a good character because he has to overcome that and deal with that aspect of his personality. It, it, oh, there's what they're doing with the Hulk right now in the comics, you know, when, when at least when they start up again, that has been just, mwah, just tasty good. Um, really, really, they, they get it. They, that they've, they're, they're approaching it the right way. But of course, uh, everybody's opinions. I was going to say, I was gonna say one one other little thing we got to mention about the movie too was the teaser at the end where we were like we're we're gonna get the leader out of this movie oh yeah right yeah, right and that was good casting and for the leader too little Tim Blake Nelson yeah that would be and nice to see that character point. is yeah that, that that'd be fun that'd be a fun path to go down well he's there it happened so where is he. I mean, even they at least did like lip service to a lot. Oh, yeah, the abomination's locked up and blah, 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 blah. They never mention him. Not even a word. Uh, that that That's a little frustrating because that, that character could be a lot of fun. But yeah. what, what do you think, Pudding People? Let us know. We've got a comment section, at least for the time being, on our website. You, of course, can visit us on all of the social media that we mentioned earlier. We'd love to get your thoughts on what you think about this particular 2008 film or the second tier, in quotation marks, uh, musical acts that you had from the, from the 90s that you enjoyed or didn't enjoy. Uh, let us know. We would love to hear it. But until next time, stay home, stay safe, and... Uh, Keep enjoying those movies. 